invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. I'll read this passage and then start talking about it a little bit. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 8. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I don't know about you. Does, I mean, anybody's mind go to John the Baptist? <laughs> uh, this is most literally applied to John the Baptist. It is certainly something that can be applied to us as well. According to Jesus, and Jesus seemed to know a thing or two about this, this kind of thing, uh, there was no man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. But, but what did John really do? I mean, what did this guy do? He didn't build anything. <laughs> you know, he didn't organize anything that we're aware of. Uh, he seemed to run around with two messages, repent and Jesus is coming. Right? Those seem to be the two things John did. Otherwise, he doesn't seem to have done much else besides call people sinners and baptize them. <laughs> I mean, he, he, that, that's the whole life of John the Baptist that we find. Uh, I think, uh, what, I, so I asked the question, what made him so great? What was so great about this guy? And I think everything he did was either to show or to tell, right? Show or tell one big theme, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So today we're going to take a look at the value of a road, <laughs> preparing the way, preparing a road for others and, and about preparing yourself. Uh, and, and so I just want to talk a little bit about the value of a road, especially a road in the wilderness. That means the first road, where, where no road has gone before, you know, that road. Uh, that's the road we're talking about. Uh, the, over ground that has never been paved or turned into a road before. Uh, someone, someone posted a video of... Uh, it must have been Dave and Ashley Peterson in Congo or, or someone related with them, related to them, of, of these vehicles on a, on a, in, a, in a caravan in Congo somewhere. And, and they reminded me, and maybe they were, there's a vehicle in the army back 30 years ago called Goers. Are those still around? Do they still use Goers? Okay, massive big vehicles, tires, or I mean wheels about, what, seven feet tall, something like that. And, and they're called Goers, I think, because they could go everywhere. And I'll tell you what, in this video, they proved it. It was just, it was just the straight, they're bouncing along, they're down, they're up, they're in water, you know, about so deep, they're out of water that deep, they're going along, and they seem to be moving at about five miles an hour. Uh, and I thought, wow, I appreciate the roads that we have. <laughs> we have good roads that really take care of us. Those are roads that were not well prepared. Uh, they, they may have been where no road had gone before, but do you ever think when you're driving somewhere how much work it took to put that road where it is? I mean, even driving to Spokane, you see it. I think about that area where you go in between uh, Highway 2 to, to I-90 and you drive along and there's the, 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 the rock on either side of you. And, and have you, has it ever crossed your mind? Because it crosses mine all the time. That rock used to be here too. Someone blasted and dug and tore and beat that rock out of here to make a road. What, and it always goes in my mind, what in the world made them think it was worth it? 
all that work. What made them think it was worth all that work to put this road right here? Because my little brain says, let's move it somewhere else, <laughs> right? Uh, that, that's the way I go. You see it. Uh, do, do, do you think what used to be right where you were? Because it, it had to be that rock that's on either side of you. And, and I, I wonder, I just go, really? And the obvious answer, though, because I, I asked that question, did they, did they really think it was worth it? And the obvious answer is, yes, they did. Because they did it. They spent the money, and they did the work, and they took the time, uh, and, and, and they did the work. Well, I mean, what is the work of building a first road? I think of on the prairie, right? If I'm going to build a road somewhere in America, I want to build it in South Dakota, right? Someplace like where it's flat, and there's no trees, and there's no, you just go you know, make this straight road, and it's easy to do. That road would not be so hard. You come a little bit farther west or go farther east, and you run into things like hills and trees and rivers and rocks, right? And it becomes a little bit more work. And so we look at this, verse 3, he says, A voice is calling. Here's what it says in my New American Standard Version. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Now, your version may say prepare. It may say something else. It may say make a way in the wilderness. I'm not sure. But I like the word clear because you clear things out of the way, right? There are things in the way. You're going along, and you come along, and there are trees. Well, you cut down the trees. You dig up the stumps. You pull them out of the way. You move or blast rock. You do whatever you have to do to make your road go uh, through there. And so you do the work of preparing the road. The word clear essentially means to remove obstacles. Remove obstacles. Make that road easy to travel. Make the ground easy to travel. And when you think about it, if you think about the difference between those, those massive goers in, in Congo and us zipping down the highway at legal speeds. <laughs> this is going on air. I had to say that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the difference is, is because what, all the obstacles to easy travel have been removed. And we have a way by which we can travel easily and smoothly where we want to go. Uh, verse 4 of that same verse, let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Make it easy. Make it smooth. You know, you send, you send your, your uh, I can't even think of the word I want. You know, the guys who, who look it all over ahead of time. Surveyors, thank you. You send the surveyors out first, and they figure out where is the best way to put, place to put this road. And then you send the engineers who figure out what it's going to take to to, to put in the road, and then you send in the real workers who build the road, right? And, and you have all those things, and you have to fill in the low spots. You're going to have to fill this in over here. You're going to have to build that up over there. You're going to have to put a bridge here. Uh, you're going to have to put culverts over there. Whatever goes on, they figure it all out. Clear the ground, level the ground, make getting from point A to point B an easy thing to do. That's so far. But then we get into, you know, so you have the prairie, that's easy. You get the rocks, the hills, the, the, the trees and things, and it's more work. But what about when you get into the mountains? The mountains are awesome. So I, I thought, in my mind, I, I, I got on, on the Internet a little bit, and I did a little research on the Transcontinental Railroad, right? Everybody's heard stories and read things and about the work that they did there. And, and uh, it's just hard to fathom what they did. They, I always knew they started from two ends to meet in the middle. You know what I learned? They also started in the middle to work to the two ends. And so there were actually four tunnels being dug at the same time. And I don't know how they started in the middle, but they did. And, and uh, they, they, I'm thinking, man, the surveyors and the engineers were amazing. 
And the guys doing the work were amazing that they were able to follow that. And they're digging this mostly by hand, thousands of workers. And, and, and they're digging these tunnels through this rock, 32 feet tall and 16 feet wide, mostly by hand. They, they, would, take, they would take, so one guy would hold the, the drill, and two guys with, ready for this, 18-pound sledgehammers. Now, some of you are going, 18 pounds? I can handle 18 pounds. Yeah, really? Come try my 8-pound sledgehammer for a while. And I'm thinking, and, and it wasn't uncommon when they were going through these areas to, to, to clear less than a foot a day. A foot a day for miles. And you just go, good grief. And they did it. And I'm going, what made them think it was worth that? How could you possibly? It took them six years to, to complete that. And, and, but, and you go, well, you know, six years to build it. We've been using it for 150 years so far. <laughs> right? And it's taken maintenance and all these things. But, but those things opened up and allowed things to happen in America that would not have happened in America otherwise. They, it allowed travel. It allowed settling. It allowed trade right? To, to move back and forth. Building that road was a lot of work, but it was worth the work because it really is that valuable. Uh, it made all those things happen. It allowed people to do things they would not, could not or would not have done if the highway was not there. They would have said, it's too much work, it takes too much time, I'm not that interested in getting over there. It made it possible, right? How often would you drive to Spokane if you had to use a horse and buggy or walk, right? How many times would you make that trip? Now think about that compared to how many times you make that trip now, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that I, I, I do it a little bit more now than I would have uh, in, in a situation like that. Uh, uh, how many times would you do it on a dirt road? illuminated by nothing, <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe there's an inn somewhere between Reardon and Airway Heights, you know, that, that you can spend the night at on, on your way. And we start recognizing how, ro how valuable a road is, and it is worth the work it takes to build it. And then we come back to Isaiah, and it says, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for your God. And when he's saying highway, he's not picturing I-90, that's not what they saw as a highway in that day, but a, it was still a large, flat, level, hard-packed road, sometimes paved with rocks uh, to, to make it easy to travel on. And that was a highway. And he says, prepare a highway for our God, make it easy for him to travel where? Where is he traveling? Yeah? Where does he need to go, and how can you help him get there? And, and we start thinking about, you know, what is, by the way, what is the wilderness? Because John the Baptist, as our prototype, as our, as our example of traveling, he showed up in the wilderness and he starts calling out, repent. And people started going out there and saying, okay. <laughs> it's like, I, I can't imagine that working now. But I can't imagine it working then either. God, if God wants it to happen, it will. And, and so he shows up and do that. What is our wilderness? You know, we live in a world of wilderness when it comes to the things of God where people are walking in a jumble, in a jungle, in a desert, in a, a woods, in whatever you want to call it, between them and God. And there's all sorts of obstacles that would keep the unsaved person from coming to Christ. And, and the wilderness is that life they live in. And I think that's because we don't want to take this and say, well, that was a, that was a prophecy of John, it applied to John, and, and besides that, we don't need to know anything about it. The Bible is not written to give us history lessons or literature lessons. It's written to affect our lives, and so we want to recognize this is not speaking merely to John. It's speaking to us as well, right? Uh, none of this is given to teach us how to build a road or where to build a road. It is help, given to help us bring people to Christ. 
or you could, you could say God in the Old Testament. I want to say Christ or Jesus because too often, if we don't specifically name Jesus Christ, and we're talking about helping people to come to him, if we simply say, I'm trying to help people come to God, those people who are trying to help come to God will interpret God however it is convenient. Right? But when we say, I'm helping them to come to Christ, I'm helping them to come to Jesus, then we become specific. We're not talking about just any, any generic God out there or all gods that everybody claims are the same. There is one Savior, one name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. So it's, it's given for that reason. And so we come back to, to John. Let's go, we're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew chapter 3, by the way. I should have warned you. You want, you, want to, you want to hang on to where we had our scripture reading today? We could go to the other Gospels, but I thought I'd try to keep it simple. Matthew chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. I'll just read verse 1, 2, because it helps out. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Uh, make his excuse me, paths straight. And I like it that, that it's in the New Testament translates as it as paths, paths. The Old Testament it calls it a highway. I'm not sure what's going on there. But, but uh, we notice that, that, that Matthew describes John as the one coming in the wilderness, but that wasn't actually part of John's message. John doesn't walk around saying, go out in the wilderness or calling in the wilderness. Uh, he, he, he is described as the one who is fulfilling that prophecy. He is one calling out in the wilderness. And he's giving us his two messages, repent, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Repent, Jesus is near. Repent, come to Christ. Those are the two messages that we have, and we find them right there. We skip ahead to verse 11, and he, they ask him, Who are you? What's going on? Who do you think you are to be out here doing this? And in verse 11, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he says, I've got two messages. Repent, Jesus is coming. Repent, Jesus is coming. And that is how he, John the Baptist goes about uh, crying out in the wilderness, prepare, make a path straight for the Lord. Or it's how he, not how he calls out, make a path straight for the Lord. That's how he makes the path straight for the Lord. Repent, Jesus is coming. Those are his two messages. And, and, and uh, obstacles removed by repentance. Obstacles to Christ that are removed by repentance. First of all, is in order for someone to repent, they first have to acknowledge sin. We live in a world that does not want to acknowledge sin exists, let alone that they are guilty. By the way, that is a self-serving conclusion, is it not? I don't want to have to feel guilty that guy over there teaches there's no such thing as sin. I agree with him, therefore I'm not guilty. Which, by the way, does not work. You're saying, you know, you can, you can say, say there's no such thing as gravity. <laughs> Try it out. <laughs> See how that works for you. Saying it's not real doesn't make it not real, and it doesn't take it away, the reality of it away from you. You can deny there is such a thing as guilt. You will still feel guilt. Okay? You can deny it and pretend it's not there. I can pretend there's no such thing as gravity for a little while. You know, I can run to the end of the building and jump off. There's no gravity. There's no gravity. <laughs> and until I get so far out, there's no gravity. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> and then the Roadrunner cartoons kick in. and uh, right. So the first thing, a message of repentance does, it, it, it brings acknowledgement of sin. It brings acknowledgement of guilt. In order for you, if you must repent, then you have, not only there is sin real, but you are guilty of anything. 
And it makes so much sense because if we start preaching Jesus Christ without saying he's saving you from something, you don't need a savior, right? You, but when you acknowledge, when you're told to repent and you're, you're told you're guilty, you're told sin is real, you're told you need these things and uh, you, you uh, need someone to help you out. You need someone to get you out of this mess you in. And then, still in Matthew chapter 3, Look at how Jesus treated the religious leaders. Not Jesus, John the Baptist treated the religious leaders. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for him, and, and, and you have to catch this, because in our minds, in our, our you know, we, we hear those words, Pharisees and Sadducees, we go religious leaders of the time, and we lump them together. They're the religious leaders, those Pharisees and Sadducees. And, and, it, and it really can't be done, because those are the Pharisees and those are the Sadducees. Right? The fact that John the Baptist brought them close enough together that they're actually appearing together in, in front of him is, is, is powerful testimony to the effect he was having because these guys from both sides are coming. to Because to, to, the Pharisees, the guys over here saying, well, if you're not following the letter of the law properly as interpreted by us, then you are falling short of what God wants. And these guys are over here saying, word of God, word of God is whatever we decide it is, <laughs> right? We're the religious leaders. Let us tell you what it is and whatever we feel like it is. And, and these two, the, and we, we hear Pharisees and Sadducees and we just lump them together. You can't do it. But they're coming together to John the Baptist and he's angry at both of them. He treats them both the same. These guys are over there adding to God's word and making rules that say, if you don't follow our rules, you're not obeying God. And these guys are over there saying, make it up however you want. And as long as you feel good about God, you're okay. And he takes them both together and he says, oh yeah? I, I love what he says. Who, who, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And, and you can just picture, picture uh, uh, you know, you, we, you, sinners come forward to the altar and... Who, oh, who, who should I pick on? It's so much fun. <laughs> Dick comes up. And I go, not you. I don't want you to come. Who said you could come repent? That's what John's saying. Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? I have to pick someone that everybody will say, no, he didn't mean it about him. <laughs> and all of you that I looked at and my eyes went by, you're not good enough. No. <laughs> First of all, ladies, ladies, you're safe. I, I never pick on ladies for things like that because my mother taught me not to. But <laughs> Anyway, uh, he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't say you repent. Repent. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for your father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he is so hard on these religious leaders. Uh, why is he so hard on, him, on them? Because they saw themselves as blameless. They saw themselves as, we are the leaders. We are the ones who have arrived. We are not guilty. In a, in a society where religion meant you were saved by obedience to the law, they were the ones who had arrived, and they did not need to repent. And so he blasts them extra hard. And what is he doing? You know, he's in that rock where you have to blast the rock away to get the road to go where it needs to go because that is the obstacle that is preventing them from coming to Christ. And he has little mercy on them because they, can, they don't need mercy. They need, a, they need harshness. They saw themselves as blameless. They did not acknowledge their sin, so he, he worked harder to convince them of their sin. It was an obstacle that needed to be removed. 
So what about you? If, if this is not just about John the Baptist and what he did, what should you be doing to build a road to make it easy for people to come to Christ? Well, you could go out in, in the wilderness. You know, the Washington Scablands probably fit a really good example of the wilderness. Just go out there somewhere and start yelling out in the wilderness, Repent! And eventually, maybe a reporter will come and do a special. <laughs> we have a uh, modern-day John the Baptist out here. Tell me, sir, what are you doing? Building a road? <laughs> yeah, you, you could try that. You could you know, do, do locusts and wild honey. You have to special order in your camel skin outfit <laughs> uh, to get that. I'm going to say there's two categories of things you can do to build a road. And, and, and I'm going to call one your words and the second your actions. Two, two categories of things. Your words. You can build a road to make it easier for, to, for people to come to Christ by your use of words. Speak of Jesus. Right? Speak of church. Speak of Bible. Don't hide it. Don't go camel when you go out into the world. You know, we, we, we have a way we talk in church. We have a way we talk in public. And actually, if we can make, there's just a way we talk, and, and, and we don't camel everything up, it might be a lot easier. We can, we can use our words. We can speak of Christian things. And, and I, I kept trying to decide, do, do like Christian logo t-shirts and things like that, do those count as actions or words? Uh, and, I, and I think they count as, as words. Because, <laughs> please, if you are wearing a t-shirt with a Christian message or a sweatshirt or whatever it is, please keep your actions consistent <laughs> with what you're wearing. <laughs> you know, because otherwise, guess what you're doing? You're not, creating, you're not clearing roadblocks. You're creating them. Which comes next, by the way, when I finish talking about building a road. Uh, but you speak of those things. You know, words, pray. Right? Pray. Use your words to make it to remove obstacles. Pray for people that God will remove obstacles for them. Be ready with good advice, godly advice. I, I, am, I am still stunned when I think about it. When I was in the army, been saved for a couple of years, had a Bible. I think I might have read my Gideon's New Testament, been reading my Gideon's New Testament by that time. And somehow people knew I was Christians and would come to me and ask me for advice on, on what does God think about this? And I'm going, why in the world are you coming to me for that? I, I don't know anything, but, but I was the one they saw. I was the Christian they knew. And they would come to me with those things. Well, be ready. When someone comes with you for, with a question, have an answer. All right? Matthew, or not Matthew, 1 Peter 3.15 is, is uh, the verse that says exactly that. 1 Peter 3.15 but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And, and, and you, so you, you think, well, I, I don't want to do that because I'll be asking for trouble for myself if I give this defense or explanation. Uh, but the fact is, is that that's written for people who are facing persecution. It's already saying, yeah, get in trouble for him. Be ready when you are in trouble for him and they ask you the, the, uh, the reason of the hope that's in you. Have that answer ready. Be ready to give them the answer. Don't shy away from it. Don't, don't uh, try to get out of, the, out of it and avoid the issue, but, but, but deal with it. Be ready with that good advice or answer. And when someone comes up and says, well, why are you a Christian anyway? Smile. 
because Jesus is awesome, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, do, do you realize that, that, that I wasn't born a Christian? <laughs> that, that Jesus saved me because I was a sinner, right? Be ready with the words. Be ready with, with those things. Uh, so, so, we, so I have the category of, of, of words. You're, you're speaking of Christ, church, Bible, the things you talk about, that you pray, and that you are ready with an answer or response when someone comes to you about your Christianity. And the second is, is your actions. You know, there are the religious things that you actually do go to church. Really? You go to church? Yeah, how often? All the time. Really? Really? All the time? Well, not on Thursdays. Oh, no, Thursday's a busy day. Let's make it Tuesdays. <laughs> you know, uh, not all the time that way, but regularly. Really? Wow. I'm not familiar with that. Most people aren't. Christian activities. We, we do, you know, there's lots of things. Decorating a gazebo. Instead of just driving by and honking and waving, <laughs> which is what I did. <laughs> In defense of myself, I was tired. <laughs> uh, um, I went home and crashed. Uh, church, Christian activities, other things like that. I mean, the, the whole concerts, the, the, you know, whatever Christian things you have opportunity to do. And, and so there's the religious things, but then there's the other things, right? The other things. Be good and do good. Matthew 5, 16 takes away all doubt that God wants you to, to be a witness by your actions. And also that your actions make an effective witness. Your actions, your being good, your simply being good in Jesus' name is an effective witness for Jesus Christ. Right? Matthew 5, 16. You may, be able, you may have a really good guess, even if you don't know it, what this verse says, but be ready for this. Let your light shine before men in such a way, right? How do you, okay, so how do I let my light shine before men? How do I light the way for them, right? Removing obstacles, showing where they are, where they can go. Uh, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see you doing good and they know you're a Christian and you're doing good because of him. And so they glorify your father. They say, God must be good. Especially if they knew you when. <laughs> you know, the problem with me is the, the number of people who knew me when is shrinking. <laughs> Lynn Hernis, if you're watching Lynn High, she says, My, the problem I have is that people don't know how bad I was. I'm not embarrassed to say that on Lynn's behalf because I'm not exposing something about Lynn because she said that more than one time to me. I want people to know how bad I was so they can see what a difference Christ has made. Right? If you want to know how bad she was, you can talk to her. <laughs> but, but, but yes, she wrote a book. I can't remember what, what's the title of her book. Okay, One of those. One of those. Yeah. And, and I love it because her whole point of the book, one of those, is after she became saved and her life started changing, and people would say to her, oh, you're one of those, right? Be one of those. And as you do your good works, people know, oh, wow, those aren't that bad. They glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's a powerful thing. But, but so we, that's how we build a road. But here's what happens, and here's the dangerous part, is too often we are guilty of creating obstacles rather than removing obstacles. Too often, you know what I said, your words? <laughs> Remove obstacles with your words. What about your words that create obstacles? Right? Your words that would make people say, I don't think there's any reason to become a Christian. Does profanity come out of your mouth? 
That's an obstacle. I remember hearing about a, a pastor who was on the town basketball team. Wasn't a good thing. Fouls happen on the basketball, in a basketball game, <laughs> right? Uh, things come out of your mouth when you get fouled. Is it, excuse me? <laughs> is it, bless you? <laughs> is it, Jesus loves you anyway? Or is it something else, right? With this guy, it was something else. He was a pastor, and he was known for profanity on the basketball court. I don't know what he was like anywhere else. I didn't know the guy. I never met him. Just heard about him. Gossip. Do you walk around talking about people? And other people hear it. Do you tell lies? You know, just little ones for convenience sake. Do you tell lies? The, the next one I wrote down, I put venom. And, and I hope you understand what I mean when I say venom. Because venom is not just, it's spite. It's anger. It's biting. You know, someone does you wrong and venom comes out. It doesn't have to be profanity. It doesn't have to be gossip. It's just, it's just intense anger towards someone. I'd like to, one more, once more, this time I'm going to turn to the book of James. Interesting trivial, trivia thing about James. I don't know if it's trivial, but it's, it's trivia. Is James is probably the first New Testament epistle written. And so when we read what James writes, he's writing about the early problems in the church. Right? He's talking about things that the church needed to deal with early. And we could read a lot more. We could start at verse 1 of chapter 3. I'm going to skip all the way to 6 just because I didn't want to read the whole chapter. Verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. Talking about our words. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. Iniquity is a fancy word. It means sin. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water pr produce fresh? He's saying your tongue reveals who you are and whether you're good or bad. And by the way, if you go by the name of Christian and people hear a tongue <laughs> that produces bad... You're creating obstacles. You're not creating, you're not removing obstacles. And then there's, the, so, so there's the, your words, and now there's your deeds. Your actions and your attitudes. And, and, I, and I put attitudes with actions. They can go with tongue, too. It could be a third category, but I put it with actions. Selfishness and greed. It's all about me getting, wanting, having my things, my way, Right? If you are, have, struggle with greed and selfishness, first of all, welcome to the club, right? Uh, but try to curb that because it doesn't promote God. It doesn't point to God. Condemnation and criticism. John and I were talking the other day. We, we, we read a book. We both read the same book. And, and he asked me my attitude, and I started off telling him all the things wrong with the book. <laughs> 
I didn't like this about it. I thought he got this point wrong where he did here. That's not right. <laughs> and, and, and I realized, we talked about it, I realized that's, that's my knee-jerk reaction is criticism, finding fault. That's what I'm good at. It's not right. I mean, to, to, to judge and evaluate things, that's not bad. But, but uh, condemnation, criticism, is that what comes out of you? Is that your action? Entertainment choices. That's actions that are... Everything, everything, everything you do is telling somebody something. And because you are a Christian, everything you do is telling somebody something about your God. And that's not escapable unless you go somewhere where literally nobody knows you. But how many of you... Who has ever gone someplace where you thought nobody would know you and you ran into somebody who knew you? <laughs> right? It just it's, you go. You go. You've got to be kidding me! I'm in Borneo. <laughs> you know, <laughs> here's my neighbors. <laughs> just happens. Drugs and alcohol. They tell you something, and you can go to the extremes. I knew a guy who said back in the days when pot was illegal, he smoked pot so he could witness to the dealers. <laughs> Uh, well, that's a convenient excuse. But drugs and alcohol are a testimony. And, and I'm not talking about the guy who has a beer now and then. You know, the Bible does not condemn drinking. It condemns drunkenness. But it, are your choices saying something about Christ? Pornography. I mean, the list can just go on and on and on. And, and, and if I haven't hit on your particular weakness yet... I'm not going to keep trying. I'm not, you know, my goal is not to you know, make sure everybody squirms. <laughs> Thursday, Thursday, Thanksgiving morning, I went to Spirit Lake to run in a fun, uh, to walk <laughs> in a fun run called Sweaty Yeti Fun Run because I wanted the shirt. <laughs> and, and my daughter was in it. And my daughter-in-law also went in it. And afterwards, she peeled off a lair and she was wearing a shirt that said, sweating like a sinner in church. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I want that one. <laughs> My goal is not necessarily to make you sweat. <laughs> but it is to make you think about what you might be doing that is putting an obstacle be between someone and Christ. Because our job is to remove the obstacles, to make it easy for people to come to Christ to make it convenient, to make it attractive, to make it not some huge burden someone has to go through to where they say, oh, I'm not bothering to make that trip. But to make it easy, to make Christ attractive. That's our job. Clear the road, make it easy for people to come to Christ. When a person claims Christ and then lives like the world, he creates obstacles. The, the, what does the person say? He's just like me. Why do I need Jesus? What difference does that make? That would make me a hypocrite like him. And instead of helping them come to Christ, we hinder them. We just shouldn't do that. So, we, so, so talked about um, what it, the value of a road, talked about uh, uh, making a road for others, but I want to tell you a little bit more, preparing the road for yourself. Okay? Saved or not sure if you're saved? First thing to do, admit it. God, I've thought I was a Christian, but sometimes I'm just not sure. You know what? That may be the most valuable sentence you say in your lifetime. <laughs> Admit it. Don't say, well, I can't say it because then he'll know. 
<laughs> oh, wait, yeah, maybe that'll work. Try it. Know that whether the highway is smooth or not, the day will come when you do come to Christ or Christ will come to you, right? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but not every knee and every tongue is going to enjoy the experience. You want to be ready for that day. But I don't think this is merely something we need to do if we're not saved yet. If you're not saved yet, please, Jesus Christ died for you. Accept him as your Savior. He died, he died it, it, think of it as a financial transaction. He paid the price of your sin that you ran up the debt, but you cannot pay. He paid. He did that. Nobody else did that. Nobody else can do that. He paid with his blood on the cross. Come to him as your Savior. But I want to say also for, for people who are already a Christian, you say, well, I'm already a Christian. Well, good. I'm glad. I hope so. I hope there's everyone here who says that first part doesn't apply to me. Do you feel ready to meet him? Really? Remember how John treated the religious people? Uh, James chapter 3, verse 1, had I read the first verse where it starts talking about the tongue, he says, Let not many of you be teachers, my brethren, for you know that those who teach are judged with a stricter judgment. <laughs> wow. Why? Because by their words, they are saying something that better be right. right? Be careful of re being religious and wrong. You just simply don't want to be ashamed. Shame is maybe the greatest, one of the greatest forces in the world. We don't do shame in America, at least not very much, but we feel shame. But in other countries, they're shame-based countries. They, they do shame, right? And, and the worst thing you can do is to shame yourself or to be ashamed. And, and uh, you don't want to be ashamed when you meet God. You don't want to be ashamed when you meet Jesus Christ, right? I can only imagine, and then you, you hide and you run away to try to get to the back of the line. Don't be ashamed. But I want to tell you this. Shame, uh, saved or not, first response is the same. John the Baptist had it right. Repent. Right? In, unless you are that perfect person. Right? Unless you are that perfect person, uh, sin is still the obstacle between you and Christ. Repent. Turn from your sin, confess your sin, and repent. It, he, if we confess our sin, he's faithful just to forgive us our sin. He's actually the one that removes the obstacle. Right? We're the ones that, that put it there. He forgives sin. The obstacle is removed. Jesus is coming. right? Jesus is coming. Just like John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's at hand. right? Uh, and I'm not, I'm not speaking at this point necessarily prophetically, but I, I will tell you I think the day is short. Uh, but even if it wasn't, Jesus is coming, or we're going to him. And... and you're not really clearing the way for him. There are no obstacles that will stop him. What you're doing is clearing the way for yourself and you're clearing the way for others to come to him, right? It's not him, him needing obstacles removed to come to us. It's us needing obstacles removed to come to him. Clearing the way means you are ready. You have prepared yourself to meet him. Remove the obstacles and make it easy for others and for you to come to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, Lord God, I thank you for your love for us, that you will accept us and receive us. 
Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not yet come to you as Savior, that you would move their hearts and touch their hearts, that they would do that. That if there is anyone in doubt, that they will admit that and move from there. Father, that all of us, all of us would recognize obstacles we have placed between us and you. Lord, that we would do everything we can to remove them, trusting that you, as, as, as our Savior who loves us and forgives us, want to do that very thing for us. I thank you for your blessings, and I thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.